The day that the Cleveland Browns acquired quarterback Deshaun Watson, certain inevitabilities became true. We knew at some point we would have to hear from the quarterback. We knew we would have to hear from the team. Today, both of those things happened, but they happened with much different results. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app and Sirius XM Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Jason Fitz flying solo today. Shout out to Sarah Spain. She gets the night off. She crushed it this week on Around the Horn. Proud to work with her, proud of her work that she did on TV, and proud of her ability to handle all of the trolls on social social media this week. She deserves every ounce of a little bit of rest. In the meantime, I'm going to get you some Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Now, we'll get to the NCAA tournament. Huge night. we got some big guests. I'll get Dallin Cuff's thoughts in just a few minutes on everything to expect tonight. But we start with the press conference that everybody in the sports world was watching today. Not only the opportunity to hear from Deshaun Watson, the Cleveland Browns' new quarterback, but also the opportunity to hear from Browns' coaches, the Browns' general manager, even Browns' ownership. And all of it was going to raise questions about what the organization knew, questions about where Deshaun is, and questions about the entire process. Now, I'll be very clear here. I don't think that Deshaun Watson could have said much today that was going to change a lot of people's minds. I don't think that there's a lot at a press conference that Deshaun's going to say that if you don't believe him, it's not going to change your mind. And if you do believe him, it's only going to reinforce what you think. We just don't know. So it really wasn't about Deshaun today. Today was about the Cleveland Browns. And the Cleveland Browns failed. At some point, you have to look at everything that the Cleveland Browns knew was coming and the information they would be prepared to give and ask yourself, did they accomplish what they needed to accomplish? The answer to that is no. I'll get you specifics here. Deshaun Watson at his press conference was asked an important question about how he intends to fix his image. This was his response. I know that there's going to be a stain that's probably going to stick with me for a while, but all I can do is keep moving forward and continue to, to, to show the person that I am, the true character, the true person, the true human being I am. Like I said before, I've never done the things that these people are alleging, and I'm going to continue to fight for my name and clear my name and like I've been doing just cooperate with everything that comes with it and just keep moving forward and then as far as the job and and what I need to do as a, on the football side is to lead this team help this team win multiple multiple games and Super Bowls and that's my job is to continue to put all that together and work with the Cleveland Browns and you know just keep pushing forward no matter whether you believe Deshaun Watson or not that's the right answer in this situation It's kind of the inevitable answer, the only answer he could really give. I mean, let's face it, he's not going to stand up in front of a microphone even if he did do it and say, all right, I'm guilty. So this wasn't about changing anybody's mindset. It was about answering questions. Now, that's difficult for Deshaun to do because he's in the middle of civil proceedings. He's in the middle of legal action. So it's hard for Deshaun to come out and speak because, frankly, that's why people have lawyers. I will say loudly that uh, there's a reason the process works the way the process works, right? There, there's a reason why people have lawyers. There's a reason why you go through a very specific way to handle these things. Because at times you want to make sure that even if you think you're saying the right thing, you're not putting yourself in a legal situation. So I understand everything from Deshaun's standpoint. That being said, that doesn't mean that we have to accept the Browns' logic. Specifically, to the point of legal action going on, this is what Andrew Barry, Cleveland Browns GM, said about the team and why they didn't reach out to the 22 accusers. We were advised against reaching out directly to the 22 women. 
out of concern that it would be considered interfering with a criminal investigation. And it's this, among several other reasons, that made it important for us to use independent investigative resources that were unbiased and comprehensive so that we could get a full picture and full perspective you know, of the criminal and civil cases. So it was through this time and through this work and uh, you know, what we learned about Deshaun the person, what we learned about uh, you know, the civil and, 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 and criminal proceedings and you know, obviously, you know, uh, working through due process and legal process that got us comfortable with Deshaun the person. How stupid does everybody think we are? I mean, that's the real question here. Because again, as I've been saying from the get-go, if the Cleveland Browns are going to acquire Deshaun Watson, they need to be prepared, right? They need to be prepared with what information they have, what process they went through, and how they analyzed all of this. While they may end up getting the right answer, maybe everything works out, Deshaun Watson is cleared of everything, and the answer is exactly what it needs to be. There's a reason why in high school, when you take your math tests, they make you show your work. How did you get to the answer? The Browns might get lucky and get the right answer here, but the question of how they got there is absolutely failed. Think about what the GM just said. Andrew Barry just said, well, we couldn't reach out because it would be interfering with a criminal investigation. So we hired independent investigators. So you're telling me that you want us all to believe you as a team can't reach out, but you can hire somebody as your representative and they can reach out to get the full information without then interfering? That doesn't make any you, – you can watch an episode of Law & Order and understand that doesn't make any sense. Furthermore, you can look at it and say, okay, well, what about after it wasn't a criminal investigation? What about talking to the people in the civil process? Nope, didn't do it. How is it that the NFL has at this point reached out to reportedly 10 of the accusers, but the team hasn't? That's the significance here. No matter how they try and shape this, they avoided tough questions. Kudos to our colleague Jake Trotter, who covers the, the Browns and did a great job today at the press conference trying to double down on what investigators found, how investigators went about their process, what the Browns knew. And the Browns consistently gave runaround answers. It was like listening to a deposition. And nobody wanted to say anything in the process. Now, I understand why Deshaun Watson can't say anything. I understand why Deshaun Watson is going to avoid saying anything, and I understand why we're not going to give Deshaun Watson any benefit of the doubt, depending on what you believe or you don't believe from his story. I understand all of that. But today was an opportunity. It was an opportunity for the Cleveland Browns to step up and say, look, we may not be able to go into complete detail on what we know because of the proceedings, but we can tell you we talked to the accusers. We talked to everybody involved. We talked to the people on both sides of the issue, and we came to a conclusion that we're comfortable with. The Browns had that opportunity, and they didn't do it. Shame on them for not handling it the right way. Shame on them for not being better prepared, and shame on any of us that accept that as a reasonable answer. That's some straight talk. Straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. Okay, it's National Peacock Day. That means it must be destiny that St. Peter's will continue their improbable run, or at least that's my analysis. That's why we'll bring on a better analyst next. Alan Cuff going to join us. He'll break down all the action happening for the NCAA today. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Sweet 16 action is underway again tonight. 
Seven to two already, Purdue up on St. Peter's, which doesn't make any sense because it's National Peacock Day. It's Maiden Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Jason Fitz flying solo tonight, Sarah Spain getting the night off. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle auto, home, or motorcycle insurance. Visit Progressive.com. When I need expertise, I always lean on somebody that's not only brilliant, but also dashingly good-looking. Dallin Cuff joining us, ESPN College Basketball <laughs> Analyst. Uh, Dallin, obviously we've got to break down the stuff that happened last night, but let's start with the really important things. Today's National Peacock Day. Does that mean that there's destiny for St. Peter's? I can't think of anything more influential than National Peacock Day. It's not about Zach Eady, 7'4", almost 300 pounds, or Trevion Williams, 6'10", 260, best passing big in the country, or Jaden Ivey of Purdue, which is probably a top three pick. Peacock Day is what's going to carry through for St. Peter's. That's how they win today, no doubt. I, look, we see this the same. Uh, but, all right, but let's be serious for a second. Uh, <laughs> Purdue, uh, I had them going to the final in my bracket. They're the only team left. It's the only thing that makes me even feel remotely smart. But I've also seen Purdue be <laughs> maddeningly inconsistent this year. So for yeah. you, how does Purdue sort of find that that charge to go through? I, I think they're I think they're in a, 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 a very advantageous position right now against St. Peter's. Uh, and Defo is a decent, you know, a solid interior defender. But again, I, I was being sarcastic. But the size of these guys is just different. I'm interested to see how Sheehan Holloway plays it. Are they going to, you know, mix in? How are they going to double if they double? And in what ways? Are they going to double big to big? Are they going to bring down a guard? How does that affect their rotations? Are they going to limit, you know, Purdue making threes? They're one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country. They're the best def- offense in the country, the most efficient offense in the country. I just don't think St. Peter's can, can hang with them. Uh, the spread is 13 points. Um, I don't see this game being close. So I'm not going to play 13. So I'm a little scared about the uh, backdoor cover there. Um, but I just, I, I just struggle to see how they, how they manage that type of, you know, size and, and, and really power the interior particularly. So, no, I don't think. I think, I think it ends here. It's been a great run, but I do not think they move forward. So, looking at the bracket as a whole, we lose two number ones last night in Gonzaga and Arizona. Who benefits mm-hmm. that's remaining? Who's benefited the most by the fact that those two teams are no longer part of it? Well, actually, I mean, Houston took one of them out, and I think Houston's path to the final is, is really good now. I thought whoever won that game had the best chance of getting to the final, to the championship game. Um, I, like, I think Nova's program is great, but I like Houston over Nova. Uh, and if Houston had to play Kansas, I, I, I'm interested in that matchup. I think that would match up pretty well with them. They, Houston has some similarities to Texas Tech, who's given Kansas problems at the, throughout, the court, throughout the season. Obviously, played three times. They really should have won both regular season meetings, the Red Raiders, but this those similarities, like I think Houston can win that game and they can find themselves in a championship game. So, um, ironically, they took out Arizona, and I think that was the biggest – obviously, moving forward is the most important thing you can do, but when you look at where, they're, where their side of the bracket lines up, potentially, I think they're in a really good spot. Is Duke going to win this all and just make me want to throw up in my mouth? So do you hate Duke? Do you hate Coach K? What is what is your deal? It's Duke, all right. You know, and, and look, I've told this story a million times, but like I grew, I have one VHS tape in my entire house, Dallin, like from my entire childhood. Oh yeah, UNLV, you're UNLV, UNLV, one hundred three seventy three. But that's it's the it's the Final Four the following year that still sits in my craw. I've hated Duke yeah. ever since. So you know, I, I'm just waiting for them to become irrelevant, like everybody else has to go through, and that I need Coach K to retire to do that. So let's go. Uh, they got a bunch of five stars coming next year. So sorry, bud. That irrelevant thing. I don't think it's going to be the case. <laughs> I think you're going to have to deal with Duke for the long haul, uh, like all of us are. But I respect their program. I love what, what Coach K has done. Um, I don't think they're going to win this whole thing. I do think this team has like, grown up before our eyes. When they were down five to Michigan State, I thought with five minutes ago, I thought it was over because all year they had not been able to take a control of a game down the stretch. 
against a good team. And they, they failed at home against UVA, at home against Miami when they were up in those situations, off SU on the road. They didn't pass a lot of the tests, but they passed that one. And then last night, you know, when you have the best defensive team in the country and they struggled in the first half, but they adjusted to the physicality, they started to have guys play with more confidence and say, hey, we're, talent kind of took over. They were able to go make plays and, and winning plays on both ends of the floor, which, again, we hadn't seen them do. So they, their maturation before our eyes in the last 80 minutes of basketball is critical. Um, they have more talent maybe than anybody in the country fits. I think if you give them a ball and just pick a gym, they, their starting five probably beats everybody in the country. But when you add in all the stuff that goes into it, the, the coaching, the scouting, the execution, the carryover from what Coach K says, what has happened on the floor, that's where you break down with younger players. And that's why they haven't been as dominant this year. But I think they can – I obviously think they can win the thing talent-wise. I don't think it's likely. I don't think that, it's, that is what happens. But they are in a very good spot. Arkansas is not to be slept on, though, by any stretch of the imagination. Arkansas could easily win this game. There's no doubt about that. We're talking to ESPN College basketball analyst Dallin Cuff, Spain and Fitz, Jason Fitz flying solo. And uh, you were one that going into the entire tournament said, hey, keep an eye on North Carolina. They can go farther than people think. And now they find themselves here taking on UCLA. Uh, how do you like them against UCLA, and how do you think this uh, this ends up for them? Well, Jaime Hawkins may, may not play for UCLA, and that that's huge. So there remains to be seen how he can go, if he can go, and if so, how how you know what capacity is he is really important because UCLA has gotten him, Jules Bernard, to lesser extent, but Johnny Juzang, Tiger Campbell, a bunch of guys that could create uh, for themselves and their teammates uh, off the bounce, and, and when they're playing together offensively, they're really tough. Um, but that said, you take Hawkeyes out, that really does help the Tar Heels. I think the Tar Heels also have um, Brady Mannix shooting the ball just so well right now. I'm interested to see maybe UCLA ends up switching a lot of the screening action because he gets a lot, makes a lot of hay off of pick-and-pop situations. Um, but overall, I think UNC can win this game. I think it's going to be maybe the most entertaining game of the night. Uh, I think the over is 142. I think I like the over. I think both teams are playing offensively really well right now. Defensively, they're not. Neither is really good. Not bad, but not really good. And they don't either really disrupt what you do offensively. They kind of rely on contesting and trying to make you take contested shots. They're not turning you over. They're not speeding you up. You kind of just play the way you play most times, and they're going to try to try to try to stop you from making shots. So I think it'll be a fun game. I think UNC can win it. Um, I think right now they're getting two and a half points as, as the underdog here. But uh, if Armando Baycott has a big day and their guards play the way they have, and Manic shoots the ball, man, they don't have much depth, but those starting fivers are, are very talented and playing with confidence. If they can win that game. I've been wrong several times about Miami. Our friend Christine Williamson reminds me every time uh, that I was wrong about Miami. <laughs> and now they're taking on Iowa State. What did we miss with the Hurricanes? Um, it isn't really what you missed. I think their matchups were really good for them. And what they'd done in league play in the ACC, a down ACC, albeit, they've kind of been consistent. Those guards are really good. You know, Charlie Moore in his fourth school in six years, and they're all grown up, too. He's all 23, 24-year-olds. Multiple six-year guys, Charlie Moore being one, Cam McGusty being another as their starting five, um, can put the ball in the deck, can make shots. Uh, Isaiah Wong is a pro. And then you have Sam Wardenberg, who's a five-man that you got to chase around that makes threes and can play make a bit. They're hard to deal with. Now, Iowa State relies on turning teams over, um, wants to speed teams up, wants to make the game ugly. I like the under in this game. I think it's going to be a slower, uglier game in terms of ability to score. Iowa State can really struggle to score at times. But Miami's got these talented guards. And, and if you don't have team and guards help you win in March because they don't turn it over, they can make plays and make shots. That's what they're doing right now. Um, and I think they can control the game against Iowa State and kind of get the shots they want, the spots they want, and win that game and move forward. And I do think if they play KU, that's a bad matchup for KU when you look at the bigs because Wardenberg is a guy that operates really well on the perimeter. When Dave McCormack has to chase teams around, chase guys around the perimeter, he can struggle with that and struggle to play in games and struggle to affect games. 
Um, so this Miami team may not be going quietly into that good night. I think they win tonight. I think they could potentially find themselves in the Final Four with a bunch of older guards that are playing really well. Before we let you go real quick, Dallin, you mentioned Kansas, and I haven't. Uh, the top seed uh, in the Midwest, uh, do they become the, the only number one that survives? I think they do, and it's not a knock on Providence. I think Providence is a good team. Ed Coley's done a great job this year. They have been you know, kind of disrespected throughout the season, given they won the Big East, but were still you know, overlooked as a four seed here in this tournament, and people you know, parse the fact that they've 11-2 and two in games decided by five points or less. They're not lucky. They're good, and they're experienced. Top 10 in the nation experience. they got a bunch of guys that have been there before, know how to win games. Aren't you know The moment's never been too big for them. So I think they can hang with, with Kansas, but I think Kansas is overall just more talented. I think McCormack and, and Watson can kind of uh, cancel each other out, if you will. And when Providence doesn't have Nate Watson's pr- uh, production at a really high level, sometimes they can struggle to win, struggle to score a bit. Uh, and I think Kansas is just a more talented team, top to bottom. But I think it'll be a close game. Providence was getting seven and a half points. That's been bet down to six and a half. I still like them with getting six and a half points. Um, but uh, I think it'll be a game where KU moves forward. Follow him on Twitter at Dallin Cuff. And in case you haven't figured it out, not only do you get great insight, but you can get a little bit of dabbling advice too uh, from uh, our, our resident uh, helper in that. So just, just a little bit of dabbling. Dallin, always appreciate you hanging out with us. Enjoy the basketball action tonight, my friend. All right, fit to be well. I'm going to start a new show, Dabbling with Dallin. That's all I'm saying. Uh, always good work from him. And uh, good work happening right now for St. Peter's uh, as they've survived a wave. I'm a little surprised. You know, this uh, Purdue jumped out to an early lead for all you guys that are, uh, you know, in your cars trying to get to watch the Sweet 16. Purdue uh, gets out to an early early lead, but St. Peter's uh, survived that and has put themselves right back in the game. It's a 14-13 game right now. Uh, still less than uh, halfway through the first, obviously, so plenty of time to go in this thing. But I feel like the longer St. Peter's sticks around, the crazier this all gets because they are playing with house money, and there is a level of swagger and confidence that, yeah, we can hang with these guys. I've seen Purdue be very good this year, and as I said earlier with Dallin, I have them in the uh, in the final. I had them in the final. I, I've seen them play uh, very well this uh, at times this year, but also seen them become absolutely incapable of shooting and have a lack of aggressiveness. So whichever version of Purdue sticks through will be the version uh, that, that you know St. Peter's is looking at here. It, this looks winnable. It's early. It looks winnable. Uh, always winning is Jeff Darlington. I decided we're going to get Jeff on, and we're going to have a little bit of fun. We'll we'll break down some of the action today, but also we're going to figure out which player is going to be involved in the next mega trade. We'll do all that next. Spain and Fitz hanging out with you on ESPN Radio, and as always, on the ESPN app. Sweet 16 action is underway. Purdue St. Peter's in a matchup that everybody's got a little side eye on. Will the Big Ten continue to be wildly inconsistent? Can Purdue get there? Can they save any element of my bracket? Or will St. Peter's, the 15th seed, get it done? It's a one-point game right now in the first half. So, so far, so good on the excitement. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Jason Fitz flying solo. Did you know you can listen to Spain and Fitz commercial free? That's right. You can listen to all your favorite ESPN radio shows and much more without the ads on TuneIn, the best audio app for sports fans. Just download the TuneIn app to get started. All right. Obviously, there's a ton of football to get into, not just for the transactions happening, but we finally heard from Deshaun Watson. So now let's hear from ESPN NFL insider Jeff Darlington on Spain and Fitz as we try and break it all down. Jeff, what were your initial impressions of Deshaun's press conference today? Oh, man, Fitz. Um, that is a great question and a loaded one. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what I expected to hear. Um, I try to go into press conferences not really wanting to hear anything specific because then, you know, you, you're kind of 
leading yourself down a, a weird path there. I, it felt it felt awkward to me. It felt like um, a little uncomfortable because there's so many questions that really can't be answered or, or won't be answered. But in general, I, I don't know that I felt any better about the situation than I did before it. But then again, I don't know that I ever expected to feel any better about it after witnessing it. Well, and the Browns brass basically admitted that they started doing their own internal investigation while the season was going on. So it raises a question. When did the Browns know they were going to move on from Baker Mayfield? Well, that's a good question. I would say that in general, that might have been the more disappointing aspect of the press conference was some of the inconsistencies um, and moments from the Browns organization. From Andrew Barry, who, by the way, is, has been a, a incredibly open and, and candid guy, um, you know, maybe until this moment where I started to question, like, not only what you just asked, which is five months ago, he said he started doing homework, Baker Mayfield as his quarterback, but also, uh, you know, the investigation itself. He said that they couldn't talk to any of the 22 women who filed civil lawsuits because um, their their attorney said that that could be interfering with um, a criminal investigation. Well, the NFL the league office has literally talked to 10 or 11, I'm sorry, of the 22 women who filed those suits. So they were able to pull that off. Why couldn't the Browns? So, you know, kind of to answer your question in a long winded way is there was a lot of little moments where it felt like, you know, we we're just going with a convenient answer to try to get in and get out uh, as opposed to finding any real clarity on why, when, how, what, all of the questions that, that are sort of pressing as it pertains to Watson signing with Cleveland. And, and as we move past just the Watson portion of this, there is a Baker portion of this. What's next for him? There is. You know, I keep um, thinking that, well, first of all, there's a misconception I think that exists because nobody has signed Baker yet that the league is all of a sudden like down on Baker and doesn't think that he's a capable quarterback. I don't actually think that's the case. And I think eventually we have to remember, first of all, that we're still in March. And that eventually, Cleveland's price, and teams know this, will have to come down. Uh, the compensation will have to come down. Cleveland's going to have to pick up some of the money if they want to unload Baker. Uh, no team is going to pick up, or, you know, provide compensation and pay $18 million for a salary this coming year. That doesn't make sense. So I would compare it to Teddy Bridgewater last year. Got traded from the Carolina Panthers to the Denver Broncos at the end of April. Broncos picked up part of the tab, but so too did the Panthers, and it was a six-round pick. Teddy entered into a situation where he competed for a job and won it. So I could see something like that happening with Baker. Um, so I, I think that we, we need to be a little bit patient there, and uh, eventually Mayfield will, will find himself a new home and probably a pretty good one. We're talking to ESPN NFL insider Jeff Darlington, Spain and Fitz, Jason Fitz flying solo. You mentioned the Panthers. About a month ago, the starting quarterback job was open. Now their GM says that Sam Darnold is, quote, in the lead for that job. So, uh, you know, in Lions season, what do we make of any of that? Yeah, yeah. It's so hard this time of year to, to really <laughs> believe anything when it comes to, you know, this is the time of year when we always hear, oh, he's our quarterback, dot, 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 right now. Yeah, the old kiss of death. And, I actually think Darnold will wind up being the quarterback this year, mostly because of financial repercussions facing the team. Um, but I would imagine the team will probably try to bring in some competition. But, you know, and it's funny because you mentioned like Baker. If I'm Baker, I don't necessarily want to go to a team like Carolina, given the opportunity. 
because you don't want to go somewhere and just fail right away. So as much as we're looking at the, the landscape saying, okay, what teams need a quarterback? Oh, Panthers do. Let's send Baker there. If I'm Baker, I'm like, ah, hard pass. But, um, but as, as far as the Panthers are concerned, yeah, I mean, I, I honestly think Donald does have a chance to be the starter week one. We're seeing all of these quarterback moves happen, and we've seen it all go down. I'm still waiting for Derek Carr to get an extension. Like, I feel like that seems inevitable at that point. At this point, if it is inevitable, what's the right rate for a quarterback like Carr? It always comes back to the Raiders with you, Fitz. You know, well, what I mean? you know, you knew I was going to do it eventually. You Sarah's not here to keep me on my. You tell me what you want it to be, and I'll tell you the, that answer because I like to make you happy, and yeah. uh, and I don't know the truth. Because Carr is a complicated one, and I think you know that as well. Does he covet top dollar? If I'm Carr, I'm betting on myself all the way because I just feel like he's so close to being on the brink of a great season. So if I'm him going into this year, I'm saying, let's ride. Um, yeah, you know? I don't disagree. I, I, like, don't I, I mean, I, I look at it like this. Every time he's had great weapons, he's put up great numbers. He's going to have great That's weapons. Right. So, like, to me so – where I mean, where would you – what would he get paid right now? Would he would he be, you know, over thirty but under forty, like somewhere in that sort of weird threshold? Yeah, or, I think he's or a, is a, he, a three year deal, thirty five million a year. That's like in my mind, I just keep thinking three year deal, thirty five million a year seems to be what makes sense. So 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 that sounds great. But if you're Derek Carr going into a season with Devontae Adams as your wide receiver, and you have a monster year, guess what? That number goes up. So. Mm. I mean, it's it's risk-reward, but I wouldn't be surprised if Derek bets on himself. Oh, neither would I. Jeff Darlington hanging out with us. Tyreek Hill bet on himself by going to Miami. Uh, Jets fans still think that, that like, they're seeing what, what might have been there. Like, how close was he to being a Jet? I, I, I don't think that it was close at all. I mean, it, it feels like this was the natural fit for Tyreek. I know he keeps saying that he's, you know, I'm going home to Miami, which makes it feel very obvious. But I also, like, I live in South Florida, as you know, Fitz. And I'm like, wait a second. I didn't know Tyreek Hill was from South Florida. <laughs> I look up his Wikipedia page, nothing about Florida. <laughs> like, I'm like, what, what does he mean he's going home? And then in his press conference today, or, yeah, today, he was like, uh, I got a home there. I spend, uh, I spend all my off-season time in, in uh, South Florida. And I'm like, that doesn't mean you're going home, first of all. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's got a house in South Florida. Yeah, let so. me just, like, nobody listening cares about taxes, but if you're rich <laughs> and you can have a house in South Florida and then you can park all of your assets there, your taxes go away. I just here, man. I mean, within, within, like, five square miles of where I'm sitting right now, half the NFL has a house. But it, it, I found that funny, but at the same time, that also provides you pretty clear evidence that Tyreek Hill was coming to Miami given even the remote chance that he would consider the Jets. I mean, for how many people would pick Miami, would not pick Miami over, uh, you know, just New York. I'm just saying. Uh, that being said, today, Twitter was all up in arms about some wild report that Tom Brady wants to be the quarterback of the Dolphins. He's going to be the, the Bucks quarterback, right? Like, I'm not I, I'm not high, yeah. right? Absolutely. Um, okay. You know, I, I, it's one of these stories where I try not to dip my toe in every single Tom Brady story. But, um, <laughs> you know, just me and you talking here. Tom Brady will play for the Bucks in 2022, and any suggestion otherwise is misguided. Do you think we're going to see any any other huge moves coming in the next couple of weeks, or will things finally quiet down for the world? I mean, Fitz, I would love to say no, 
that there will be no more huge moves. And then, you know, DK Metcalf will get traded to the Chiefs. <laughs> I'm like, I have to, and by the way, I'm just, that was pure speculation. But like, I mean, I have no idea. It's, it, it, the NFL is off the rails right now. I swear uh, and, to, I, and I, 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 I can't, I have no idea. Jeff, if that happens, A, you put it into the ethos, and two, if you don't break it on the show and you know that it's going to happen, uh, like, we're... No, our fr- I, okay, okay. I, I don't, that's, I made that one up. If I was to make, actually, if I was to make up a more fun one, um, I would say Odell Beckham Jr. signs with the Bucks. That's my, <laughs> I'll throw that one into the ethos, and we'll see if that happens. Well, that's why he's the best. Follow him on Twitter, at Jeff Darlington. Jeff, I swear, next time you're in town, I won't be here. But if I was, uh, I'd buy you drinks. That's how much I appreciate you. I, I mean, that's your deal, fit. You no. like to, you know, if you were going to, if, hey, hey, you going to be around? You going to be around tomorrow? No. Oh, I was going to buy you drinks. Yeah. Well, like you know, if you ever time it out where we're in the same city, I'll just make sure I, I book a show or something. It's like, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm yeah. working. <laughs> Otherwise, I would totally buy you drinks. Jeff, I appreciate you hanging out with me on a Friday, Thanks, my friend. Appreciate you, both. I mean, Jeff is just always doing God's work, just dealing with me. That's all I'm saying. In the meantime, the Sweet 16 is underway. We've got a tight one. We'll get you updated on it. Plus, is it possible that we're actually overlooking the best team in the NBA? We'll explain it to you next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. We've got all sorts of Sweet 16 action happening. It is living up to the hype. And it's Peacock Day, National Peacock Day. How can we not suddenly think that things are going to work out a certain way? I'm just saying, St. Peter's Peacocks could have destiny on their side. Right now they're tied 27-27 with Purdue in the first half that's been back and forth, but it's really been Purdue that feels like they're chasing St. Peter's. Interesting development not most of us saw coming out of this one. Also, Kansas up early 13-6 over Providence. On the women's side, uh, South Carolina 29-25. They're up. That's uh, top-seeded South Carolina up on North Carolina, also six-seeded Ohio State, up on second-seeded Texas, thirty to twenty-five. Uh, that's with about three twenty left in the second quarter in that one. So a little bit of action time uh, time left in that action on the women's side of the bracket. In the meantime, Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel Eighty. I'm Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah's got the night off, and uh, we're going to get to a little bit of football here in a second. But I, I want to get you guys' thoughts, and you can tweet me on this, at Jason Fitz. We'll also take some calls on this later, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. I feel like we've ignored the Suns, and it really has me sitting here, like, as we understand that the Suns have now clinched the top seed in the NBA playoffs. Uh, that, that's staggering to say. It, it's done. It's over. The Suns have clinched it. Uh, you know, say hello to my little friend. That little friend is the top seed in the West. Suns have taken care of it, and we still don't give a damn. And I, I'm sitting here, and, you know, I talked about this in the ESPN Radio Sports Beat, but at some point we become so obsessed with certain dramas that we stop realizing there's actually good basketball being played and that good basketball is coming from Phoenix. You know, and it makes me think about, like, the musician side of it. I, you know, there are 
so many talented musicians that are just never famous because they're not as good a story, right? There are certain musicians, that, there are certain bands and certain eras of music that are defined more by, you know, showmanship and how much you could talk about them and what's going on than they are about any of the actual talent that's on stage. And that's what I feel like's happened in the NBA. So I've asked you guys, you can tweet at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz, to give me a specific example of something that's overhyped just because of the marketing behind it versus something in the same category that doesn't get enough love. I'll use a quick example here of In-N-Out. That's one of my food takes that uh, some people hate. In-N-Out, way overrated. Like, it's just a hamburger. But I understand that everybody on the West Coast is now, you know, suddenly pulling over in traffic to angry tweet me. But In-N-Out, is it's campaign. It's not a burger. Like, But at the same time, Wendy's, Wendy's underrated. So, you know, it's simple to me. Devin, producer extraordinaire, got anything that you think is uh, like criminally overrated because of marketing and versus something that's underrated in the same category? I mean, I'll go with uh, the car that I drive. I'm a big Subaru guy. Good oh, in the snow okay. in the Northeast. It's reliable. You don't really have to take it to the shop much, and it didn't cost that much. With a car like a Mustang, you know what I mean? If you're driving a Mustang, you look cool, but in the snow, it, you're mm. not going to do well, in my opinion. Yeah, no, you're not wrong about that. Like, I was a little stunned when I moved up to Connecticut to see how many Subarus there were. Like, shocking. There aren't a lot of them in the South. Like, I didn't come from a real Subaru era, but I feel you, uh, you know, as I'm uh, at the point where I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, doing some stuff with the car, and I've got a Jeep Renegade, and I've had Renegades for years. And, you know, if you look on all of the websites, they're the best four-wheel drive, small SUV in the snow, and they're the most affordable, all these things, right? And I, so I became, I like the allure of the Ford Broncos out there, right? And I'm like, oh, maybe I'll get a Bronco. No, it's way more expensive. It's just a better advertising campaign. So you guys can chime in on a 888-ESPN-888-729-3776. Uh, and you can also tweet us at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz. Uh, easy way to get into it. Don't tweet Sarah, though. Sarah's got the night off. Let her have a little bit of rest and relaxation. That is all we are asking for. for <laughs> she is Earned it for the love of God. In the meantime, uh, with Sarah being off, that means I get to rank some stuff, and we decided that we're going to do that. We are going to give you the rankings on what players in the NFL this season, the new acquisitions that are not quarterbacks, are going to make the biggest impact. So I'm taking all the quarterbacks out, and we're going to go five through one on the players that are going to impact their teams the most. Let's start at the bottom of the list. That's where the number five Number five. There we go. See, look at that. We're getting fancy. Number five, and I'm Im immediately showing my bias, but I feel like reasonable here that he's only a number five. Chandler Jones, uh, the acquisition by my beloved Raiders. And this is simple. When you're in a division where you're going to be taking on Russell Wilson and Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes, and you're, in a, you're a team that may or may not have a solid secondary, not exactly sure what it's going to look like, if you give yourself the opportunity to give the pass rush duo that is Chandler Jones and Max Crosby, now suddenly, bam, one of, uh, one of my buddies texted me that I trust a lot with his input and said, best uh, best rush combo in the NFL this season. Yeah, I, I didn't say it. He did. So that means it must be fact. I'm good on that one. Let's go to number four. Number four. I shouldn't have said it. We've got the voice of God to say it. J.C. Jackson. Look, everybody was salivating over J.C. Jackson, who uh, in the last couple of years has as many interceptions as my beloved Raiders had as a team during that same time. So J.C. Jackson, absolutely a great signing by the Chargers. It pains me to give a division rival credit, but you have to do it here. It continues the the talent explosion for L.A., and, and i got to give the Chargers a lot of credit. I don't know if it's because they looked at the Rams and said, hey, 
let's go all in just like they did because it works. But either way, any way you want to look at it, J.C. Jackson not going to be afraid of any of the other acquisitions in this division. A great corner and absolutely makes the Chargers better. A Chargers team that, that's kicking themselves for not making the playoffs last year feels better because of that acquisition. Immediate dividends. Let's go to the next one on the list. Number three. Uh, Leo Collins. Let's get a little uh, fat, ugly love in this thing. You can't make a list without uh, getting a little fat, ugly love. And this comes down to the one weakness that we knew the Bengals had. So Leo Collins uh, dumped by the Cowboys, and you got to feel like that's a salary cap move, but immediately makes the Bengals' offensive line so much better. And the thought that they were able to just to get it done that quickly, that easily, I don't feel like the contract's that much of a problem. And, you know, look, the Bengals last year said, we don't care if our quarterback gets murdered as long as uh, we win football games. And that worked but, man, uh, I, you add Lael Collins to this. The Bengals just got just got better. I'm not sure in that division. I mean, the Ravens lost more games to start, uh, more starters to injury than any other team last year. They are going to be healthy. Uh, obviously, the Browns, presuming they're going to have a new quarterback at some point. So, if you're the Bengals, I still think you're the best team in the division. But, man, it's going to be tough. Let's go to the next one on the list. Number two. I've heard of him. They say he's a good football player personally never really seen much of Khalil Mack I don't know he's a uh, okay fine Khalil Mack to the Chargers I mentioned earlier what the uh, edge rush duo could look like and uh, come on Khalil Mack uh, going on the same team with Bosa that's going to be a nightmare and I just said JC Jackson was one of the most important immediate impact acquisitions so uh, I no matter how biased I am I can't take anything away from Khalil Mack and what he's going to be able to do he is a special pass rusher and this Chargers defense looks like it is going to be formidable it's why I think the Chargers right now are the best team in the AFC West and that brings us to the top of the list number one now we all knew it was going to be Devontae right there was never a question I haven't gotten a jersey yet I feel like that's some constraint for me Devontae Adams uh, not just because of what he brings for Derek Carr but because frankly it means teams are going to have to decide are you going to focus on stopping Darren Waller one of the best tight ends if not the best tight end in the league are you going to focus on stopping Hunter Renfro one of the best slot receivers or are you going to focus on stopping Devontae Adams the Raiders offensive line has problems but their weapons are not going to be a problem so that's my list Chandler Jones Jason Jackson, Leo Collins, Khalil Mack, Devontae Adams. Those are your non-quarterback most impact uh, transactions so far over the course of the NFL offseason. A little bit of fun. You can tweet me. Tell me what you think. I'm sure you will not mince words. In the meantime, how does Kyrie Irving's full participation impact the Nets' chances in the Eastern Conference? We'll ask one of our favorite experts and get a breakdown of it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Presented by Progressive Insurance, Jason Fitz flying solo. Sarah Spain getting a much-deserved Friday night off after absolutely kicking ass on Around the Horn all week. She deserves it. She deserves it after putting up with social media as well. A uh, fantastic moment for her to get out and uh, recharge. She has earned all of that. Sweet 16 action going on right now. Uh, as you've just heard some of that in the Sports Center update, want to make sure you know South Carolina top seed is up by eight over North Carolina on the women's side. That's at half, uh, as well as Texas has come back. They're now up 32 30 over Ohio State at the half. On top of that, obviously, uh, St. Peter's 
Purdue, that game has gone to the half. Purdue up by four. And Kansas taking it to Providence uh, still early in that one. Plenty of time. That's your college basketball update. But we need to get into some NBA. And to do that, I want to bring in one of the best, our good friend on this show, Ramona Shelburne, joining us, ESPN NBA reporter. My objective throughout the course of the next several minutes is to not ask Ramona a single question about the Lakers because they stink and we got to stop paying attention to them. So we'll get the other team that we have to pay attention to out of the way first, Ramona. Everybody's talking about Kyrie and the Nets. So now that we know that he's going to be playing, where do you put them in the block of Eastern Conference teams? Uh, I'll say top four, okay? Um, I think they're really dangerous with Kyrie, but they don't have a squad like some of the other teams, right? Like a full squad. They don't have the depth. So you're really just trading on star power. You're going Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are awesome. Uh, in the you know in all the minutes they play together, the the team is plus seventeen and for hundred possessions, right? So that's they're outscoring by seventeen points basically when Kyrie and Kevin play. It hasn't been that often that they've all played together, but that's that's a pretty good. I mean, Kyrie's leading the NBA in scoring in the month of March. Now he's only played in road games in the month of March, right? So so this is. You know, this is not a large sample size, but those two guys are really good. And I would not put them ahead of the Heat. Um, I probably would put them ahead of the Sixers right now because the Sixers have been a little up and down, right? Probably ahead of the Bulls. Uh, I don't think I'd put them ahead of Boston. Boston's playing great right now. So probably top four, right? right? Right after those top three with Milwaukee, Miami, and Boston. So how much weight am I supposed to put into something like what we saw in Memphis, you know, because you've got Kyrie and KD yeah. uh, scored a lot of points and Memphis kicked yeah. the snot out of them. So, like, how much does that actually mean? That's what I'm saying. They, they don't have a squad. Like, they don't – it's just the, it's just the two guys, <laughs> you know. Like, the rest, the rest of the team's okay, but it's not built like a team. And, you know, I think losing Joe Harris was a big deal for them. Ben Simmons not being able to get on the court at all has been uh, damaging for them. But, you know, like, Andre Drummond can play. Seth Curry can play. All the guys they got from Philly can play. Um, and you know, Goran Jog is a nice pickup. But, but that's not – it's not the same thing as having a team like Boston has, like definitely like Milwaukee has, Miami. So I, I would say, like, they look like a team. And, and if you just look at how this lines up, okay, they are right now in the play-in tournament. I think they can get to seven, which means that right now they'd be slotted to play Milwaukee in the first round. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine if that is the first-round matchup? <laughs> no. I, that's a that, – that's that's I mean – It's a dream and a nightmare all at once. Crazy. You know, Right. Like, if you're Milwaukee, you're kind of mad, right? I would be mad <laughs> if I was like – now, Milwaukee can still get to one. Boston can still get to one. Miami's holding on, you know, to that one-game lead. But this, and this could all change six times because there's so many teams within a game and a half of the of the Heat for first. But that first-round matchup, you're going to see some interesting decisions about who plays and who doesn't play as teams try to line up for for series and opponents that they think they can match up well with um, so- over the last couple of weeks of the season. So give me like the, the smart eyes on the Bucks because I feel like yeah. we're just not talking about them, and and, and I don't understand yeah. why. You mean because they're defending champs, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's funny. I mean, I, I don't know. Like 
they won last year. They're really good. They have a lot of depth. We know what they can do, and they, they seem to have gotten all their guys back together. They haven't been blowing the doors off people, but that's typical for a team defending a championship, right, because they, they played so deep into July last year. Um, you know, we forget how late the playoffs were. They were they were pretty delayed. It was pretty. It was like July, so I think it's. Uh, I I just think that they had a little you know slow start, but also they've had a lot of injuries in and out. They haven't you know. There's been other years where they have the best record in their league during the regular season. They don't do anything. They're just getting ready for the playoffs. They're just trying to get all their guys healthy. So uh, there's never been a drama team, but I I think that's why the comparison we've all started to make with the Bucks is that same San Antonio culture. I mean, you know, the Spurs would win, and we'd never talk about them the next year. It's, it's very similar. And, and there's that DNA. And Mike Budenholzer was a Greg, Pop, a Greg Popovich assistant all those years, and I think it's, it's pretty fitting. It's crazy, too, to think of, you know, a year ago, before the last playoff run, I should say, we were sitting here wondering yeah. about Budenholzer's job status, and now, you know, he's just – a sleeping giant. So speaking of sleeping giants, that I mean, that makes me think of the Suns. And uh, I made the comparison yep. earlier on the show that there are just certain there are certain things in life that are so branded that we talk about them, even though they're not the best. And then things become invisible. That's why I feel like we are with the Suns. Like they're a great basketball yeah. team that we're not talking about because it's just it's not Kardashian like with all the drama and sexy story around it. And yet Devin Booker dates a Kardashian. <laughs> <laughs> That's ironic. You're right. Right. Um, so, like, I actually, you know, it's funny. Tim Bontemps is doing another one of his straw polls on the MVP race. I think it comes out next week sometimes. So I'll be curious to see what the results are. Um, and I, I, che- I had to check myself because I, I started, I started filling it out, and the top three guys look pretty in, in whatever order you want to put them. I think it's really Embiid or Jokic, just one and two, and then Giannis is probably three. And I was sitting there going. Why don't we have someone on the Suns right here? Like, and I looked at Devin Booker's stats, and I mean he's twenty-seven five and five. And I started looking stuff up. I'm like, every anybody who has had that stat line on the team with the best record in the NBA has won the MVP. I mean, it's it, you know Chris Paul came back, and I think I think some of it is it's always hard to differentiate between who's the most valuable player on the Suns with Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Cause you want to say Chris Paul, cause he's the leader and you know, books, the young guy also cause books so deferential to him. He's so nice. You know, he doesn't want to take any of, he doesn't want to take any of a uh, Chris's shine. Right. Um, that's really him. And so I think that's kind of how they've been in that dynamic. Chris is back now, but book really has a, a very strong MVP case statistically and as the best player on the best team. And I don't even know how many votes he's going to get, but I, I do think in the last couple in the last couple uh, parts of this year, I think people are going to take a look at him as, as an MVP candidate in a way they hadn't been. And I, that's a good thing. Cause I, he should finish top five. Um, and the Suns should be getting a lot more love, at least in the national awards races, than they have been. I, I think Monty Williams is probably going to be I, – I, I feel like I'm going to vote for Monty as coach of the year. Um, just based on how well they've done, but also they have done really well with, with significant injuries to their key players all year long. So, Ramona, just when you look at all, everybody that's stacked up in the entire league, what's the team yep. you look at and say, this is the team that's built to win playoff basketball series? Uh, I think Phoenix is, is definitely 
right there. I mean, I, I just think they're, they're defensively they're great. Um, and I think they're stronger offensively almost because they've had those injuries. Like, you've seen a lot from Cam Johnson now. You've seen a lot from DeAndre Ayton. You've seen uh, like, just a lot of other guys have gotten it going because they've had to. Um, I also hey, they've had some rough losses this last week or so, but in terms of what tends to win in the playoffs, a you know, team with a great point guard, Kyle Lowry, who's won in the playoffs before, veteran leadership, Kyle and Jimmy, defense, Bam Adebayo. I mean, they they really are built in a way that is a tough out in the playoffs. Now, will they bring it? I don't know. They've been scuffling lately, but they're the team that I've always looked at and said that's, that's going to be tough. And, and quite frankly, I don't know what happened to the Boston Celtics. I mean, we've we've all been trying to wrap our heads around how good they are right now, but they have the number one defense in the league. And if two young superstars just blossoming all at once, it's just like – it's amazing to see the turnaround they've had since the beginning of the season. Um, and it feels like this classic case of addition by subtraction, right? Like they got rid of Josh Richardson and Dennis Schroeder and they added, you know, Derek White, but it wasn't that significant of personnel changes. They just got better. So I think those are the teams I would look at and say, you know, Miami, Boston, Phoenix, those are teams that are built to do well in the playoffs. And that's, not to discount the Milwaukee Bucks at all. They're the defending champs, so they are too. But um, I don't know out west. I mean, outside of Phoenix, I really don't. I don't know who I who I bank on. I like Memphis, but John Morant with that knee injury is a little concerning to me. You're the best, Ramona. You guys follow on Twitter at Ramona Shelburne. As always, appreciate your time, my friend. Thanks for hanging out with me. All right, Fitz. ESPN NBA reporter Ramona Shelburne, ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. You could say big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com. All right, I'm going to get you updated on the men's and women's NCAA tournaments, and I'm going to tell you next why we absolutely need to change the way we cover the NBA. That's coming up. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. And that'll do it. Suns are your number one seed in the NBA playoffs. They secure it on March 24th with eight games left to play. The Suns win, 140-130, to 130, the final here in Denver. Win number 60 on the season, Tim Kempton. Absolutely great work by the Suns. And absolutely great work by the Suns all season. By the way, that's Arizona Sports 98.7 uh, on the call. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. It all brings up an issue with the way we cover the NBA. And I have a problem with it. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And, uh, you know, Suns fans hoping the team can stay in the zone. Get in the zone brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone. AutoZone. Here's the thing. I love drama. I'm in for it. I love Below Deck. Call me Bravo. Like, I love Summer House. Summer House is my guilty pleasure. Devin, you ever watch Summer House? You ever seen this show? You know what I'm talking about? Bunch of, uh, bunch of you know, like, New York people go to the Hamptons, live in a house, and party together for the summer. Ever nah, seen it? I'm strictly, like, a survivor guy. That's my one reality show. Uh, okay. The best the best reality show there is out there. I'm, I think. I, I've never really watched Survivor. Uh, what? You know, I'm, I, it wasn't my, my jam. Uh, I Drama, for me is something that if I'm going to watch it, I want it to be, I don't know, not physical, because then all I'm doing is looking at their abs and realizing that I need to work out more. I want like 90 Day Fiance. I want some sort of weird love triangle. Like I want drama that can suck me in every week, and then I'm saying, why am I spending my life doing this? And that's been a real strength for the growth of the NBA. 
In fact, like at some point we have to look at it and say, we've fallen in love with who's going to be playing where and what it's going to mean for this team and how this player is going to impact this team in such a way that you have to watch. And that's what happens every year. It's what's happening in the NFL right now. In the NFL, we're looking at some of these quarterbacks moving around, and it gives us reason to sit here and talk about the Broncos in the middle of March when otherwise we wouldn't be touching that at all. So there's a win to the coverage of the NBA in the sense that it has become a year-round sport. The loss is we don't give a damn about good basketball. We give a damn about good stories. And I've said this before. I've used this analogy before, but I'll tell this story again. I remember the first time that I ever got on stage and I was playing a fiddle solo and I I had worked it all out. It was perfect. I was so happy with it. I was so proud. It was great. I went out. I played my, 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 my life out. I was like, this is great, right? And all of a sudden, I played this solo and the crowd just like golf clap. I got a little bit of a clap, right? Next night, I go out there. I'm too drunk to be able to do it. I can barely stand up. So I do what fiddle players do when that happens, fall down on my knees and start running my hair everywhere and throwing the ball all over the place. Crowd goes nuts. Terrible solo. Crowd goes nuts. But the life lesson is sometimes you you just have to be the showman. And that's what the NBA has become all the time. But you can't just do that. You can't just be the showman. Otherwise, eventually you wake up one day and you realize that you've, you've become this thing here that's now being mocked. And that's inevitable, you know, again, to look at the music industry. You can look at bands that have gone out and and tried to put out album after album after album that's this shtick thing. And eventually, when that defines them, they've been put into a little sort of uh, lane that doesn't allow growth. For the NBA, the lane used to be really good basketball, right? Now, the lane is what player loves to play with what player and who wants to be where. And as a result, we're not even paying attention to the Suns clinching the top seed in the NBA playoffs. With eight games left. Like, we don't care because it's not sexy. And it is surprising. I mean, Chris Paul is a star. Devin Booker's a star. As Ramona Shelburne just said, funny that I used a Kardashian analogy. Booker's dating one. Why is there not enough drama there? What is it that we need to suddenly feel like we're pulled in to the Suns as a story? Because, my God, I, I like, let me be clear. I don't care about the Lakers because they're not relevant this year. I don't care about your Knicks because they suck. And we don't care about that? Like, do we not at some point want to focus on seeing good basketball? And that's what the Suns are doing. That's why we've asked you, what's something that gets overhyped because of marketing? And something in the same space that's top-notch but forgotten. You know, this reminds me a little bit of of 80s rock bands. You know, like, if you go back to the 80s in in the moment, like, that was my my first concert was uh, Bon Jovi. Skid Row, I'll never forget, Sebastian Bach from Skid Row came out to the edge of the stage, first song, and said, hello, Seattle, Washington. We were in Scarborough, Maine, mind you. But he said, hello, Seattle, Washington, or wherever the blank we are. Crowd started booing him. Like, crowd started booing him, just going nuts. And then Bon Jovi came out. Richie Sambora exploded on the stage in what I now know is called a toaster. It's this thing that, like, pops you up on stage, smoke's going everywhere, and they're just running around, right? But at some point, Bon Jovi uh, cared about making... Music that had a higher level of meaning. And as a result, now, generations later, we'll still, we still see Bon Jovi touring. We don't see that for Warrant, for example. I mean, you, you can be a shtick for so long, but then everybody gets tired of the shtick. You, know, you can be overhyped and the label can put a ton of money into you and all of a sudden you're a household name, but that doesn't mean you're sustainable. Right? Like, there's a decision to be made. And I appreciate both. 
Now, as a country music person with country music in my background, you guys know that, right? Uh, with, with country music in my background, I think that there's tremendous space for an act like Chris Stapleton that comes out, that outsings everybody, that outsouls everybody, that just absolutely makes you feel music. I think there's room for a Jason Isbell that comes out and does the same sort of thing. But at the same time, I think there's room for Florida Georgia Line. I think there's room for, you know, the, the, the bro country movement that uh, people like to go to concerts, get drunk, and watch. The problem is you can't only focus on one without giving credit to the other. And we've become so consumed with the Lakers and the Nets. Now that the Heat have had an argument on the court, we'll talk about them ad nauseum for the next couple of minutes. We become so obsessed with those dramatic stories that I feel like we're all in some small town neighborhood with popcorn and we're just sitting by the window watching the neighbors to see what they're up to. But none of it's good. What I think we should be focused on right now are quality basketball teams playing quality basketball. That's part of what makes the Grizzly, Grizzlies entertaining is that they are not only playing quality basketball, but they're at least a new story. So it gives us something new to focus on. But man, until we actually look and say, what teams are playing good basketball and, and spend our time focusing on that, we'll be telling the wrong story. Sarah always says, if you want to get people invested in sports, tell great stories. My question is, are we telling great stories or are we just telling the convenient stories that get everybody worked up right now? All right, we'll keep breaking that down, but we got Deshaun Watson to break down. We'll do it from somebody that knows Cleveland better than anybody next, Spain and Fitz. You just heard the update. It is a wild night in the Sweet 16. Obviously, we'll keep you updated as we get more information on the game as it plays out. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. Uh, but I want to get some insight from Cleveland because I think a lot of people speak about Cleveland or for Cleveland. And sometimes you got to go to the heart of the city to figure out how everybody feels about it. Deshaun Watson spoke today. The Browns organization spoke today. And it was inevitable that was going to happen. So what's the reaction for that? We're joined by Aaron Goldhammer, host of the really big show on ESPN Cleveland. So let's just start with the basics, Aaron. What would you make of the Deshaun Watson press conference? Here's what I think, Jace. I think if you were in the camp of, wow, franchise quarterback, Super Bowl, let's go, you thought Deshaun Watson and the Browns came off great today. If you were in the camp of, this makes me feel icky, I'm not sure anything happened today that made you feel any less icky. And I've been really careful here, Jason. You know, normally you bring me on and you say, what does Cleveland think about LeBron coming back? Or what does Cleveland think about another Browns coach fired today? This is a different kind of story. It's just everybody's unique experience in life shapes the way they feel about it. And I don't want to say anything that tries to sum up the fan base in one giant clump because I think everybody's perspective is is so different. But I, I just don't think that today really changed much about how Browns fans support or don't support the decision that they made to bring Deshaun Watson to Cleveland, give him that contract and give up that draft capital. Uh, well, and to that end, I mean, I have to say again, and I said earlier, you know, there's not much Deshaun was going to say, but. I was curious about what the Browns would say in this process. And one thing that they admitted was that they started their own internal investigation into Deshaun Watson last season while the season was going on. Did that surprise you? 
No, it didn't surprise me that they were doing that. I mean, their quarterback was absolutely killing them, Jason. And I, I look, I know Baker is in commercials. Shout out Progressive, the presenting sponsor of ESPN Radio. But the reality of it is that if they got average quarterback play, they probably win the AFC North, and the Bengals, who went to the Super Bowl, might not have even made the playoffs. Just average quarterback play. So it was clear going all the way back to last season when they didn't give him a contract extension after winning their first playoff game in a generation that the Browns were not all in on Baker Mayfield and they had to do their quote-unquote due diligence. Now, the Browns acted today like the Chiefs were exploring Deshaun Watson and the Ste- and every team. No, I don't believe that. I don't believe every team in the league was doing the same level of diligence that they were doing because they kind of knew what I knew and what a lot of the fans knew, which is that they were going to need a quarterback. And it, it feels to me now, though, Jason, like... Plan A for the Browns was Deshaun Watson. This is the guy they identified that they really wanted and went out and targeted and got. To think that he's any kind of plan B or C, no. This was this was the primary plan once they figured out that Baker Mayfield just wasn't going to cut it. I'm talking to Aaron Goldhammer, host of The Really Big Show on ESPN 850 WKNR in Cleveland. Uh, Spain and Fitz, Jason Fitz flying solo. One thing I think is interesting, Jimmy Haslam made it very clear that the football people, the football minds, brought this to ownership. And some of our reporters, Dan Graziano on Twitter today, has been really adamant that he doesn't, uh, he's not buying it. You have a better sense of that organization than I do. Uh, how do you think this goes down? I, I think that ownership probably dr- – I think Jimmy Haslam was sick of losing and sick of dysfunction in that building and said, guys, I don't care what it takes – Find me my quarterback. So this is semantics, right? I mean, who really started it? It's the chicken or the egg. If if Jimmy Haslam was going to shut this down immediately, if D Haslam was going to shut it down immediately, it never would have got off the ground. The fact that it got off the ground means that ownership was on board. So the idea that Andrew Barry went to them with this whole full fledged plan and said, "Guys, you know, are you you know are are you supportive of football operations or not?" I I don't buy that. I think the guys knew in order to keep their jobs and continue their careers, they were going to have to get better quarterback play. The reality of it is, though, they all approved of it. Uh, That I firmly believe because I think Barry and Stefanski have enough cred in the league that if they didn't approve of it, they could find jobs elsewhere. What's next for everybody involved in this? Well, I think we got to figure out what the length of Deshaun Watson's suspension is going to be, right? Because I don't think he's going to ever get criminally prosecuted in this case. And in order to establish that suspension, I think that the civil cases have to get figured out. Deshaun today was just adamant. I did nothing wrong, and I'm going to fight every last one of these to clear my name. Well, that's going to take time, and it's going to require him to put a lot of stuff out there on the record that I don't know that he wants to put out there. So once he considers all of that, I wonder whether there's going to be a settlement and that ultimately we need to figure out what the discipline's going to be from the NFL. And Jason, my question is, if he's going to fight all of these, you know, then what happens if we get to training camp and he's still fighting them? Does the NFL put him on some sort of commissioner's list? Or they can't suspend him until these cases are sort of settled or figured out or, you know, gone through the process. So I guess there's a chance that Watson starts the season. But from a football standpoint, the Browns signed Jacoby Brissett today officially 
that's an important move if you're just looking at the football team because I think probably Watson will get six or eight games once these civil suits are all sort of figured out. And I, I didn't like, by the way, that Watson said I did nothing wrong. I, I, I was ex- I was sort of hoping for a little bit of contrition from him, um, and I was a little surprised that we didn't get it. Uh, yeah, no, I'm with you on that, by the way. I, I, I think we have to look at some things in life and say, hey, even if you don't think, and it's wild to think that you could be sitting here with all these accusations and think I've done nothing wrong, fine. Even when you believe that, there still has to be a part of you that looks at the situation and says, wow, this chaos has been created. I'm sorry that I was a part of it. Like, just there's got to be something there, right? Yeah, Jason, you know what he said that I didn't like? He said, I've never disrespected a woman. Um, And I don't think that that's for him to decide, right? I've gone through, you know, since George George Floyd and Black Lives Matter, you know, I've tried to really have my eyes even more wide open to the biases that I have, right? And I wouldn't sit here on ESPN Radio and say, I've never discriminated. Like, I probably have done or said some things that bothered somebody, offended somebody. So the fact that he said that, like, yeah, maybe in your mind, Deshaun, but to me, from what I've learned in my own life, I don't think it's up to Deshaun Watson whether or not he's disrespected a woman before. I think you'd have to ask all the women <laughs> that Deshaun Watson has ever been around. And I, I think that's a trickier answer, right? Yeah, and that uh, that absolutely speaks. I, I, I can echo that sentiment on going through growth and having some friends that looked at me in those processes and said, hey, sure, you, you did sure. this, and, and you look at it and say, oh, my God, okay, well, look, I, I want to learn all, we're, all hum- we're all human, uh, right? I mean, we're all learning as we go. Like, we're, we're trying to figure this out without getting that feedback. So the fact that he, he was so, I mean, I have never done anything wrong. Like, wait a second, you know, Deshaun, you, you, you have had some bad days. You probably have done something wrong. Right. That I I didn't like that of all the things today that sort of I don't know that I didn't love that one uh, really bothered me. Jeff Darlington earlier with me today pointed out that while the Browns said they couldn't talk to any of the accusers, the NFL has talked to, according to reports, around ten of them. Mina Kimes pointed out uh, on Twitter from an attorney she spoke to with her uh, with the podcast uh, that. Uh, they could have gone to the accusers and uh, gotten paperwork filed that would allow them to turn around and talk to them without any repercussions. Do you believe that the Browns did everything that they could possibly do to find ways to talk to the victims? I think the Browns conducted an investigation that got the result that they wanted. Okay, mm-hmm. let me be clear about something. The Cleveland Browns are a football team. In fact, they've been a really bad football team for a really long time. So to think that they're experts at doing investigations or that they're going to commission a totally independent investigation of this situation, I I personally, I have no reporting to back that up. I just, I find it kind of hard to believe because I know how sports works. I've just been around the block a time or two. So I think the Browns didn't talk to any of the 22 women because the Browns didn't want to be put in that position, not because they couldn't. And maybe their lawyers advised them not to, but I would, I'm no lawyer, so I, I don't want to play that game, but it seems to me like that was a fishy answer. And you heard, great job, Jake Trotter of ESPN NFL mm. Nation that continued to press both the Haslam's and general manager Andrew Barry, and head coach Kevin Stefanski, wait a minute, you did an independent investigation. Did they talk to any of the 22 women in this case? And I just think we never got a clear answer on that, which tells me, 
I don't know. They're not being totally transparent. I know. Shocking. The National Football League, they're not being totally transparent with their fans. Well, uh, great work by you as always. Follow him on Twitter, at HammerNation19. Check out the really big show on ESPN 850 WKNR in Cleveland. Aaron, really appreciate you coming on. Next time we'll we'll have more fun with yeah, it, but I appreciate thanks. the insight, my Fitz. friend. You know, my, my big takeaway from today, normally you make a big trade, right? You sign somebody, a big free agent comes to town. It's a celebratory day. That room was very solemn and very quiet. And the vibe was not, we just found our franchise quarterback. There was a real palpable pall in the air around that press conference. And the Browns are really going to have some work to do to prove to their fans and everybody else that they did this for the right reasons. And I don't think they can win until they figure that out. Well said, my friend. I appreciate you hanging out with me. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it, Jason. Aaron Goldhammer. Uh, again, follow him on Twitter at HammerNation19. Not going to get any easier. We're going to continue to ask questions about it for sure. In the meantime, I need to get you updated on the NCAA tournament. Lots of crazy action going on. Plus, one narrative that just needs to go away about this, uh, this year's tournament right now. I'll tell you what it is next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at SiriusXM Channel 80. Ooh, we've got some wild ones in NCAA action. On the women's side right now, South Carolina top seed is up on fifth-seeded North Carolina 59-54. And then we've also got number six seed Ohio State down to Texas, 60-52. to Texas uh, was trailing for a lot of that, but uh, has come back, uh, and now we're in the fourth quarter on that one, has come back and is absolutely playing lights out. So uh, we'll see how that one plays out for the rest of the way. And then on the men's side, oh, oh, Purdue-St. Peter's, it's 45-42, Purdue. Up by three with about nine minutes to go in the second half. Kansas seems to be taking care of Providence pretty easily. 34-21 is the count on that one. But this St. Peter's game, it is absolute, it, it is a delight. And, you know, now we're looking at St. Peter's. And what's interesting to me is that if St. Peter's miraculously does this, not only do they advance as a 15 seed, but also it's got to make Kentucky feel a little better, right? Like, your second seed of Kentucky, but you'd be talking about well, they not only beat us, they also beat, uh, they also beat Purdue. So uh, that game now tied, by the way, forty-five, forty-five. So uh, absolutely uh, in- incredible, incredible work. Now, part of why we're talking about this is because it has been a wild NCAA tournament, and that was doubled down on last night when top seeded Arizona and top seeded Gonzaga both lost. And Mark Few, Gonzaga head coach, had this to say at his press conference afterwards about the loss and how things went wrong. It's always, gosh, just uh, so tough. You know, when it finally ends, especially short of the goal we all had, and obviously the Groups we've had, it's the first time we've lost this round in quite a while. So, uh, but again, all the credit goes to uh, Arkansas. They really, their defense was was pretty uh, just tough to get any rhythm against. I don't think we never really got any sort of rhythm either in the first or the uh, uh, second half. And, and um, to me, that was the difference in the game. I felt like we had stretches where we guarded them pretty good. We just couldn't get any rhythm on our offensive end, which is rare uh, for us. Now, when you hear Mark Few and you hear sort of the agony in his voice, you hear part of the process for Gonzaga. Because what we like to do is turn individual years into sweeping generalizations. And I don't think you can do that. I understand that Gonzaga has been a disappointment in the NCAA tournament. Frankly, I don't care. 
I don't know what this year's failures for the team, and I say failures only in the sense that they lost a game to an Arkansas team that played really well. But I don't understand why this year's failures has to mean anything about previous year's failures or, furthermore, has to mean anything about next year. What we've seen over the last two years in NCAA basketball has been absolutely insane. We went through a year last year with COVID where nothing could be predicted because we didn't even know who was going to be available when. And then what did we see this year? Absolute chaos all season long. I was lucky this year to get to host Countdown to Game Day, a digital show uh, on all of our digital platforms with Christine Williamson, where we broke down everything on Saturday mornings that you were going to see on Game Day and some of the big action. And one of the recurring storylines every single week was how wild it's been, how hard it is to figure out who's actually good, and how inconsistent most teams have been. I'm watching a Purdue team right now that has been in a battle with St. Peter's. It's a Purdue team that I watched earlier this year lose to Michigan State when Michigan State had just lost to Rutgers, and Rutgers wasn't good. So, you know, you you keep looking at this, and you want to do the, well, if this, then that, and that's absolutely been impossible this year in college basketball. So instead of making it about what this means for Gonzaga overall or the failures of Arizona by not winning at all when they had three of the top 50 players in college basketball, you could make it about that. Or you can make it about the opportunity here to watch college basketball thrive in an environment where blue bloods aren't what blue bloods used to be. Where new bloods are asserting themselves and becoming blue bloods. Like championships as a conversation, especially in college basketball, are such a part of the culture because, let's face it, we got used to three or four teams seemingly winning all of them. But we can have real conversations about the fact that, what Kentucky hasn't won a championship, I think, since 2012. And Kentucky got bounced early. Does that mean that Kentucky basketball is now worthless? Does it mean you can't bank on Kentucky? No, it means that the sport is growing. The transfer portal particularly gives so many young players the opportunity to go impact their own destiny, to go find their own spot. Name, image, likeness is going to have a huge impact in college basketball. So, yes, occasionally you'll get a team like Miami this year with a bunch of guys on it that are seasoned, that have been playing college basketball for a minute, that understand the moment and understand the game. And they'll be in the same tournament with teams that may lack that, with Duke teams that might be younger, that are still trying to figure out how to handle the pressure of the moment. The difference is we'll get benefit of the doubt to a team like Duke if they lose. We'll get benefit of of the doubt to a team like Miami even if they lose. But we won't do that for Gonzaga. And I don't know why. Maybe it's because they play on the West Coast. Maybe it's because a lot of you guys don't watch a a ton of the games. But no matter what, at some point, all I want to do for Gonzaga is judge them like we judge everybody else based on the body of work happening right now. And I'll remind everybody because Kansas right now beating Providence 34-23. If Kansas advances, we're going to have all sorts of conversations about can Kansas finally get it done? Maybe for once, instead of having a conversation that feels like a failure about making it to a championship or a Final Four and not winning it, we could spin that around and have a conversation about the ability to consistently put yourself in contention every single year as a top seed in the ever-changing environment that is college basketball. It's a much different conversation, and it's one that needs to happen. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. Again, getting you updated on all the scores. I got Purdue up on St. Peter's right now, 49-45. to 45. So uh, that one's happening there. I asked you guys, based on the uh, NBA, 
uh, if there's to give me your examples of uh, overhyped, overbranded things on one side versus underhyped things that are flat, flat out better on the other. And we've gotten some responses that are funny. Tim said, "Elephant ear versus the overhyped funnel cake at the fair." Devin, are you team elephant ear or team funnel cake? Uh, funnel cake all day long. Especially okay. you put ice cream on it with a little powdered sugar. Hell wow. yes. But then you're putting ice cream on a hot dessert, and the ice cream's going to melt, and nobody wait, wants. Wait, 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 wait. Nobody wants that. You don't put ice cream like. Vanilla ice, cream ice cream never on, touches a vanilla ice cream, cream never on, touches a hot wait, 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 dessert. No, 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 vanilla ice cream on a like hot apple pie. Okay, you know that pie's trash. But <laughs> like, if somebody brings me out the cookie skillet, the first thing I'm oh, doing is saying like, yeah. like I want the ice cream on the side. Preferably, like if I'm making cookies or brownies at home, I put them in the refrigerator, let them cool. Then if I combine them with ice cream, at least it's not melting. You're I a child. That that's, uh, well, that's probably fair. Uh, I'm not a smart child, which is why I got to give credit to William Benedict, greatest Twitter response of all time. He said, Alexander Hamilton overhyped James Madison, criminally underrated in terms of founding fathers, dot, dot, dot. You can probably tell I'm a history teacher. That is an all-time response. Uh, Absolute epic work by him and uh, great action from you guys as we continue to try and focus on the right things.